Hello and welcome to On The Ball, the Norwich City podcast that is cheating the system. This is edition number 77. I'm Steve Sanders, aka at NCFC Numbers on Twitter, covering for Michael Bailey, who um, I believe is, is still making his way back from Manchester on a barrel scooter. But don't worry, Michael Bailey fanboys and fangirls, he'll be back next week. So there were no great expectations for this weekend's tale of two cities, but it turned out to be hard times for the Canaries <laughs> from getting to it. I did warn the guys that this would be contrived. We'll be looking back at 90 tough minutes at the Etihad, <laughs> asking if being in the Premier League is the best of times or the worst of times for Norwich City fans and analysing today's new signing and asking, can we have some more? Um, I did have a line about three spirits, but uh, that's up in the air now. So uh, we've got two members of our marvellous panel who I'm delighted to be in the company of. Um, first appearance of the season for both. Um, and first up, one-time Norwich City press officer, Ben Mouncer. Ben, how are you doing? Hi, Steve. I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, yeah, not too bad, thank you. Um, yeah, steering steering the ship, but um, hopefully Michael will allow me to see this again after this week. We'll see how it goes. After that <laughs> intro, your word wang rather than number one. Right? <laughs> yes, yeah, still a wang though. I mean, yeah, Michael said, you know, got to got to you know bring the talk talk to the kids and uh, kids love Dickens, right? So yeah. uh, you know, um, and uh, the laughter you can hear in the background um, is uh, another another on the ball stalwart, uh, Dan Brigham. Dan, how you doing? I'm good, thanks, Steve. I'm just very glad that you didn't Scrooge that uh, intro up. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> see, see, that's that's getting on board with it, Ben, you know. That, that's, <laughs> that's what I'm looking for. Um, so the podcast is for your ears only this weekend, um, partly because Michael's obviously the, the eye candy of the whole operation, but mainly because I haven't got a clue how to work the software. So essentially, don't bother trying to find it on YouTube this week. Um, it is only in audio form. So uh, now that we've done that fairly tortuous intro, um, let's get on to the good stuff. The good stuff um, in this instance being a 5-0 defeat for Norwich City um, away at Manchester City. Um, it all started off with a Tim Crawlan goal in the seventh minute. Jack Grealish tapped one in and it was 2-0 at half-time. Daniel Farker made two changes, but it didn't amount to much with Eimerick Laporte, Raheem Sterling and Riyad Mahrez all getting in on the act, which made it the same score as this fixture 13 months ago. Um, I'll quickly reel off the stats. Uh, one shot on goal, first time in nine seasons that we've been that low. One corner, 33% possession, and an XG of 0.04. Uh, so, Ben, I'll, I'll come to you first, and I'll, I'll dip into my um, podcast presenter's um, standard question and ask you, were, were Manchester City really good or were Norwich City really bad? Right, let me climb aboard the fence and say it was a bit of both. Because I think it was a bit of both. Am I right in saying that our XG at halftime was 0.0 to 0.0? I think that might be. Um, I think it must general. have been on the yeah on the basis that we'd had no shots in the first half. I think that is kind of how it how it must work. So yes. Yeah. No, I think look, on the face of it, um, nobody went into that game expecting us to win. Um, and you can talk about caveats and everything. If if we'd have had our strongest team, you know, a different part of the season, you know however many different factors coming together at any point, we still probably wouldn't have won that game. But I think there is certainly, and anyone can be justified to be disappointed with some elements of that performance. And I think anybody who sat through the 90 minutes, as I did, um, will have seen a team, I think, that perhaps didn't embody the kind of Norwich City that we we want to see and that we, we sort of come to expect, really. And I think it was... That, that was the most disappointing thing, aside from the result, was the fact that we d- 
didn't lay a single glove on on Manchester City. Um, actually, I think 67% actually sounds quite low for possession for Manchester City, given the kind of dominance they had in the game. It just goes to show that really our use of the ball was was really, really bad, um, offering no threats at all. And, and really, you know, we, we're going to talk about the defence, I'm sure, but defensively just just letting in goals that are just horrible to watch and, and really make you think, you know, if, if you're going to concede goals in that manner um, and defend like we did, then it immediately puts you under so much pressure and makes you worried about future games and puts pressure on future games straight away. So I think um, obviously there are caveats. It's very early in the season. We've had a very difficult first two matches. Manchester City are very good, et cetera, et cetera. But um, certainly for me, I came away from it more worried than certainly a lot more worried than I was after the Liverpool game and more worried than I was before going into it. So, yeah, that's my my assessment. Uh, quite a lot of worries there all round. Um, Dan, what was it that, that worried you most? Uh, the lack, well, I'm going to agree with Ben, but the lack of uh, streetwise and being canny and being clever, which was sort of littered our last Premier League season. But I did think, albeit in a much... Uh, easier league where you don't come across players that are worth hundred million pounds. We did become more streetwise last season. We did introduce tactical fouling. We did uh, bring a bit of a sort of grit to proceedings and that was entirely absent. Well, I say entirely absent. Unlike, unlike Ben, I watched 88, uh, sorry, 82 minutes of it, by which time we were already one nil down, but it seemed entirely absent. Um, and there are mitigating factors. Of course, Manchester City are the most glittering football team in the world. We barely had a pre-season playing away from home against away fans for the first time in 18 months, etc., which must have some psycho- psychological effect. But it did seem like uh, not only did fans think it was inevitable, but um, the players thought it was inevitable. And it sort of brought to mind what Jamal Lewis said in that interview recently about sort of Norwich's accepting defeat. And that's OK, because we've lost to Manchester City when... Whereas when they go to Newcastle, they don't accept that. So it was actually quite the one positive from it was Daniel Farker coming out afterwards and actually being quite angry by his standards uh, about the performance, uh, which again is relatively rare from him as well. Um, especially as he could quite easily have used excuses as we've just reeled off of lack of preparation, etc. And it being Man City, but he didn't. And he said we defended ba- badly as, uh, collectively. We didn't show enough fight, etc. And that was that was one thing that maybe is slightly different to the last time we were in the Premier League. That we have a manager now who's a bit more canny, and we just need the players to be cannier as well. And that lack of canniness really showed in the the goals that we conceded. I mean, I've come to expect us not being very good from set pieces, but the way we were cut open, um, particularly, I mean, basically four of the five goals came down our left-hand side, effectively. So, and that was with two different left-backs, of course, with uh, Dimi Anulis on in the first half and Bali Mumber in the the second half. So, whatever way you look at it, it's it's not great. So, is is that a failure of of the coaching staff, Ben, or is that the players not carrying it out? Or, or again, would, are we just up against a really good side and we have to accept that that sort of thing is going to happen? Well, if you listen to Daniel Farker's post-match comments, it's a failure <laughs> of his players to take on board the instructions that they were given. I think he, he was very... Um, he, he was definitely going to make that point after the game, I think. He also said, I'm not going to, you know, I don't want to single out Dimi Yanoulis too much and then spoke quite a lot about how, how bad Dimi Yanoulis was, <laughs> which, um, again, again was interesting, I thought. But, you know, the huge amounts of quality in Manchester City's attacking play, obviously, but to, to have been beaten 
four out of five times um, down the same flank in, in a very similar fashion in one match is pretty unforgivable, I would say. Um, and and the other goal as well, the corner, I mean, that really annoyed me, that goal, because it, the ball just dropped into the box and we've had three players around at a loose ball and just didn't do anything about it. Um, so yeah, all five goals, frust- hugely frustrating. Um, what I would say, though, is that I don't think Daniel Farkas should not, not take any, re- or, you know, he should take some of the responsibility as well, because, you know, I'm a big fan of 4-3-3 as a formation. Um I think, you know, maybe it's not with our current midfield away to Manchester City, the best formation, however. And certainly in a game where in the first half we were completely outplayed, we were lucky to only be 2-0 down. He made some changes, but the the system was the same. And and really, you've now got two left backs who are probably lacking a bit of confidence because Bali Mumba came on and and was, was equally at fault for the same number of goals as Dimi was. So, yeah, I think... I don't know. I feel like Farker could have made some more radical changes. Maybe go, maybe go three at the back, or maybe just go four two three one, just to try and stem the flow in that match. Because it was clear that given the the lightweight nature of our midfield three against against Man City and, and the struggles our fullbacks had against that particular attacking move, I, I just think more, more radical changes could have made more of a difference. But you know, who knows? So, oh, sorry, Dan. Well, yeah, just on the four-three-three, and don't want to get too sort of um, you know opter about this. Although that's probably right up your street, actually, Steve. Oh yeah, um, yeah do get as, one of, as one of the branded rivals to yourself. I, <laughs> when you're four-three-three with Pukian is is fantastic. When you've got a a massive uh, defensive midfielder patrolling um, the centre of the park, and B when you've got a lot of the ball, but or C, can counter-attack. And we had none of those against Manchester City. And what you need in that sort of situation is a a, um, a big lad up front, someone who can progress the ball, hold on to it and progress the ball and drag the players up the pitch with him. And Timu Puki really isn't that kind of striker. So, And while watching it, I did wonder, and if it does look like we're going to a sort of slightly more counter-attacking style, that certainly seemed the case against Liverpool when it was a bit more effective, whether... Timu Puki, who is outstanding when we dominate the ball, is the, is the correct striker for uh, for our campaign this season if we're going to continue with that 4-3-3 formation. It's so hard to judge, isn't it? Because the two matches we played against, you know, two, two, the two best teams in the country, certainly for the last, you know, three or four years. And I, I believe in, in, in matches where we will have more of the ball and we'll have more attacking impetus, this, this system could work. I agree with you though, Dan, like the only real counter-attacking outlet on, on Saturday was Milo Rashica and, and his kind of output was, was pretty poor in those rare situations where he was able to, to get the ball on the counter-attack. So yeah, we had mm. no outlet at all. And that's why ultimately we were so, um, just, we had no offering in the final third whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm already looking ahead to that um, Arsenal game, having seen Brentford bully them and then and then Lukaku kind of rolling the centre-half and thinking, you know, <laughs> that, that could well be a game between two teams with no points. And although we should never expect to beat Arsenal, they, they will enjoy coming up against, against Norwich City. Um, Dan, you've been um, advocating for on Twitter for a, a BPF, uh, which I think is big powerful fella I don't know if I've got that right or not <laughs> that sounds about right yeah. in uh, in defensive midfield <laughs> um, how many of those do we need I mean it, it certainly it certainly feels like when we come against up against Liverpool and Man City um, I think you've already made the point that or someone certainly has the midfield just don't are too, are too lightweight really to, to counter their threats well against Leicester on Saturday we'll see exactly what we're missing in and Didi he's the kind of player um, 
that Norris City neither. Sort of the guy patrols at the back and breaks up any counterattacks and does what Skip did last season. And we're not just seeing that through the middle, but I think part of our left back problems. Um, stem from the fact we don't have a central uh, defensive midfielder covering those positions. It's, in fact, you know, Skip did more of a job covering the fullbacks last season than he did the centre backs. That was very much his role. And Billy Gilmore is an excellent midfielder. He's very good at uh, progressing the ball, but he's not uh, a central defensive midfielder. And it's just interesting, actually. Again, on Farker, I've never heard him call for players um, in particular positions like he is doing at the moment. He's talking repeatedly about a fullback, which obviously we've covered now, um, a DM and a centre-back. And I can't, you know, as some, uh, who, somebody who worked at the club when he was there as well and covered his press conferences, I don't remember him doing that when I was there. And I don't remember him doing that last season as well. So it's quite just a slight change, slight tactical change from the manager when it comes to uh, what he wants. Because Weber's obviously the famous quote about him not arming him with a gun last time we were in the Premier League. Well, he's kind of armed him with a gun this time because we brought in a lot of forward players, but maybe maybe just some body armour or a shield at least could <laughs> do this time because uh, we can't rely on Billy Gilmore to be that guy. Yeah, I think as well, I think we did a whole pod last year on the point you made there, Dan, about how Skip and Kenny McLean in, in that system in the 4-2-3-1 covered the fullbacks and I think we've missed that a lot in the first two games this season I, I, I absolutely agree that we need a, a more physical presence in midfield of course I do but I think it's interesting how then that would work with Gilmore because Farker loves to, obviously wants to see Gilmore in, in that in that holding deep lying playmaker type role in a three if you bring a defensive midfielder in does that mean going back to kind of a 4-2-3-1 and you, and you see Gilmore playing almost a Moritz Leitner role alongside somebody or does Gilmore play further forward with the defensive player as the deep the deeper of the three so yeah I think we need we need we certainly need another body in that in that um in that part of the field but how it would actually play out in terms of formation and system I don't think it's entirely clear well what, what's interesting to me about Gilmore and I may have made this point already on the pod is that we've only ever really seen him play well in a, in a three in midfield so I wouldn't necessarily say four two three when is out of the question, but um, when he's played well, he's always been in a three. Um, so I don't know if you take that away from him, whether he becomes a different player. Um, anyway, this uh, this is Norwich City's worst start to a season um, after two matches of 113 years. Um, only one side has had a worse start in uh, the 30 years of um, 30 seasons of the Premier League. That was Wigan in 2010-2011. But if we're looking for a silver lining, then they did at least stay up, although their manager is now. Uh, in charge of the world's number one national team. Um, longer term, Ben, I uh, obviously was, was well into your tweet about our record of uh, the last 12 Premier League games. Scored one, conceded 32. And um, we've let in 22 since we last scored a goal in the Premier League. So can someone tell me, please, at some point, this is going to get fun, right? We're, we're going to be able to enjoy the season at some point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> and that comes on Saturday against Leicester, right? Because that was our last Premier League win. Is that right, Steve? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, last game before lockdown. So all those memories will come flooding back, and and Saturday <laughs> will be the day where the joy descends on Carrow Road, and everyone forgets about the last couple of matches. That's that's a very good point, actually. So the last player to score a Premier League winner for us was uh, Jamal Lewis, which <laughs> makes it seem like it was a decade ago rather than years. Um, uh, on that, you know, obviously it's a bit of a negative intro because we have lost 3-0 and 5-0 at the start of the season. But I do think some ca uh, canny recruitment at defence midfield and another body in at centre-back. And we've got a, 
a squad that is much more capable of competing um, than we did last time in the Premier League. Um, so it really takes one or two additions and maybe we're, maybe the fun will come back and maybe that will start on, on Saturday. Uh, but without those, <laughs> without those additions, then, uh, yeah, literally no fun this season. <laughs> Excellent. Well, that was that was very positive for all of that five seconds. Thanks, Dan. Um, it, I was going to offer another silver line. Well, my my main silver line is obviously we have now played two very tough games, and really, apart from Brentford and Watford, nobody seems to have have really had a great start of those around us. Um, Saints have got one point. Palace have got one point. I think Burnley and Newcastle have both lost both their games. I feel like somebody else is that Wolves as well, I think. So, um, and in theory, all those teams have had easier starts than we have. So. Um, maybe all's all's not lost yet. Can I um can I make a, a point, Steve, about the the Bournemouth game, which is pr- has probably happened if you're listening to this. Um, <laughs> but it, it it feels to me that this game it feels like a big game for a Carabao Cup game, not for reasons for progressing in the cup, but it feels like if we if we could get a result in front of our fans in, against Bournemouth and maybe see some positive performances from some of our new players, see a debut for Cholis maybe, and maybe Josh Sargent can grab a goal. I, I feel like the the kind of hot, that, that feeling that everyone's beginning to get again oh you know it's the premier league and we've had these we've had a couple of thumpings and things are, there's a lot of negativity around i think a, a positive result midweek against bournemouth especially leading into another home game on saturday against leicester could um could be a good thing so i think i think it's a big game actually i think it's a big game completely agreeing <laughs> and what a game it was um yeah and i yeah completely agree and actually unlike a lot of the early carabao cup games that we play might inform the team for the next league game as well i think usually farker probably knows his 11 um and and doesn't really and uses the cup game for to give players a few minutes um but i think on this occasion if we do well some players may play their way in for, for next saturday as well on the flip side if bournemouth come here and do us over and philip billing plays fantastically well then it's gonna be horrible <laughs> Well, then he's our BPF. That's that's the answer, isn't it? <laughs> um, we'll move on because, uh, well, uh, I was going to say we've, we've had enough um, negativity, but there may be more to come. Uh, this is Pick That One Out. This is On The Ball's newest feature, um, and it's a feature that allows our panellists to pick a topic, topic that they want to get off their chest. Uh, the only catch is that they have to give us their assessment in 30 seconds uh, before they get buzzed out uh, I did it last week. It's harder than it sounds. Um, Try to fill the time in exactly 30 seconds. The best of luck. Um, I don't have Michael's air horn thing that he had last week. So um, I'm hoping that one of the one of you two can give me something to shout out shooting stars style uh, to end end the round. Any any ideas? Fish fingers. Fish fingers, that'll do me. Excellent. Yeah. No relevance. Fish fingers. <laughs> I'll, I'll go fish fingers. I don't want to steal Matt Lucas's uh, vibe. Um, great. Um, who would like to go first then? <laughs> Does anyone well, go at all? I'll go, Steve. I'll go. Okay, Ben. Right. Um, are you going to set me up? The time. Okay, this okay. is no good for anyone listening, but the timer is is set and ready, and you are good to go now. Okay, so I, the thing, I, the point I want to make is that I want to defend people's right to have a moan. Now, I more than anyone try and take an objective view of of Norwich City, and and I can see all of the reasons why there are many reasons to be positive about the season upcoming. As Dan said, recruitment, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But if you lose five nil to any team in any circumstances, whether it's Man City or you know whoever, I think people are right to have a moan. I, I feel like sometimes there are certain Norwich City fans, maybe on social media, who 
Fish fingers. Quite annoyed. Oh, oh my goodness. Oh, that is gosh. quick. I you was just about that. to name them as well. <laughs> I know. I was, yeah. <laughs> just reel off a big long list of people that he doesn't like on social media. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is a crying shame. Can you pick this up next time you're on, whenever that might be? Can you can you pick can you pick this up and just start isn't, with you? Isn't, isn't the idea that we can talk about these topics after we have our 30 seconds anyway? So the, the whole 30 second bit is quite futile. Or are we just forgetting <laughs> everything that's being said straight away? <laughs> I mean, yeah, the, the, the whole the whole feature's futile. You're absolutely right. But um, that's that's something for Michael to pick up. A bit, bit of admin for you there, Michael, for next week. Um, but yes, we can absolutely do that. Um, uh, in the meantime, let's let's head over to Mr. Brigham for his 30 seconds, starting now. Well, it's on a similar theme. We're absolutely, we absolutely should be able to slag our team off. That's fine. But when teams of mid-table side fans in the Premier League come at us, then then we get angry. Like come at you know, come at us when we've been hammered by Palace, we've been hammered at Burnley. Do not come at us when we're being hammered by Liverpool and Manchester City. I mean, if you're a Burnley fan, if you unless you've majestically swept aside Manchester City, then what right have you got to tell us whether or not we should be off or whether or not we should be Fish in fingers. The pretty good. Pretty That's good. So I felt like you it made it's made me realise that we do talk for quite a long time just normally you know that's that feels quick doesn't it 30 seconds you think is michael going to allow a pit peed off <laughs> yeah well i'll leave that, I'll leave that. <laughs> <laughs> well my michael's editing it so um <laughs> it's uh it's over to you over to you michael that's uh completely your editorial decision um ben would you like to finish your point because I, I feel bad for cutting you off in your prime no i'd like to i'd like to open it to the floor i i, I just I, I don't know i feel like i'm not going to name anyone specifically and uh, maybe, maybe this is a group of people who exist purely in my head and or through the prism of social media but i, I just feel like people should, should be allowed to have a moan and and especially like in the aftermath of a game when you lose five nil that's what it's about right like having having yeah. a bit of a moan when you lose you know, five I've been known to do some occasional bout of happy clapping, but we've lost 3-0 and 5-0. We've not scored a goal uh, in, in 180 minutes of football. We've lost 12 games in a row in the Premier League. If you can't moan then, whatever the context, and the context being two great sides, then uh, well, when can you moan? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I th- and yeah, I think there's a difference. Two. There's a difference between, you know, you can still be... I'm going to use an awful phrase, but behind the project um, while accepting that Saturday was a crap performance. <laughs> that's it. That, that's the exact point I was trying to raise, uh, raise, Steve, and you've done it a lot more succinctly than me, but it's okay to think that losing 5-0 and losing 3-0 is a bad thing and is annoying while also thinking that we still have a good chance of staying up and that our recruitment will come good and that Fark mm. and Weber are amazing. I think it's still okay to have those two separate views. Like you're not, it's not, you're not part of one camp and the other, mm. you know what I mean? Or the other. What you want to get into is just purely posting uh, numbers and figures and uh, and not having an objective opinion on, on anything. So uh, that, that's the way forward. Uh, and on mine, I just think I had a wider point that I didn't get to <laughs> in my head. <laughs> is that uh, it just sums up the sort of relatively horrendous experience of the Premier League is that probably 13 or 12 or 13 clubs, the fans of those clubs are relying on other clubs being slightly more embarrassing and slightly less crap than their club. And that's where they get their enjoyment from. And we'll be the same if we, fingers crossed, manage to stay in the Premier League for two or three seasons, we'll be exactly the same. And that kind of, 
I mean, it's a much wider conversation, but that's exactly it's, why the return to the Premier League is not all it's crapped up to be. Yeah, that's, that's, that's not a better place to be, is it? We know that our experiences as Norwich fans over the last decade have been pretty amazing, even though we've had multiple relegations in that time, because you take the good with the bad. And I'd, I'd rather have had that journey than the journey of a Crystal Palace or a Burnley. Yeah. I mean, I saw where Everton fans coming at, at us, taking the mickey out of us. And they've, I did my research earlier, they've not won a trophy since Shaggy's Boombastic was number one in the charts, <laughs> which for younger listeners is 1995. Probably the dullest club to support. You know, what, what are the, and the, yet they're still getting, one of the biggest clubs, most traditional historical clubs in the country, they're still getting their kicks out of Norwich City losing. Yeah, you you might say that Shaggy's Mr. Bombastic has had more of a cultural impact in the last 26 years than Everton Football Club has, but uh, I wouldn't want to say that, obviously. Right, uh, Sting, Sting there, please, Michael. Thank you. Okay, so we will move on to Centrefold then and some good news, or it feels like good news anyway. Um, today, if uh, well, we're recording on Monday, but whenever you're listening on Monday, um, we Norwich City, that is, confirmed the season-long loan signing of Brandon Williams from Manchester United. Uh, he's 20 years of age and has made 50 appearances for them. So it feels on paper like a pretty good signing. Um, someone who can play um, at either fullback position Although right now, to be honest, we could probably stick him in just about anywhere. Um, I have to say, I last week was thinking, well, where's where's he going to play then? Um, but yeah, after after Saturday, I'm now thinking, well, look, he's coming into a defence that's conceded eight in in two games, so probably can't come in soon enough. Um, Dan, what are your what are your thoughts on this one? Well, it's, it makes perfect sense for us. Uh, we needed cover at fullback and we brought in cover that's got Premier League experience and is very much um, part of uh, sort of the mould that Daniel Farker likes. doesn't really make an awful lot of sense to Man United, although as you've just touched on, maybe it does more so now because he may just slot straight in. Um, the few, a few times I've seen him, and he's barely sort of played in the last season, did he, I think, but a few mm. times I've seen him. Um, what I really remember from him is he's always on the front foot. He just gets the ball and runs with it. And he's aggressive in his attacking. He's aggressive in his defending. He's already talking about being a bit of a leader, which at what, 20 years old is impressive. I uh, also read earlier that he'd head-butted an Ankerton Stanley player in a preseason match, which, <laughs> you know, I don't want to advocate physical assault, but that <laughs> kind of feels like the kind of player that Norris City lacks sometimes in their squad. Um so I think he'll bring a bit of tenacity, he'll bring a bit of experience, he's played in the Champions League and he brings enormous competition as well and hopefully a little bit of a little bit of the wrong about him, um, which all Premier League sides needs to survive, I think. Yeah, we, we definitely we definitely need a kind of rutting stag in this squad. That's something we, we really feel we've been lacking. Um, ben, um, I think well, Dan used the word that I was going to use, which is aggressive. That That's what I kind of associate Brandon Williams with the kind of player that he is. Um, what's what's your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, my thoughts really reflect what you, you two guys think as well. I think what he's going to offer from a mentality perspective coming from a big club like Manchester United and obviously none of us have really seen him a lot but he's he's as you said Steve he's played 50 games for Manchester United and from what I remember from from seeing him highlights and stuff he he is an an, an aggressive player he's not afraid to get get stuck in and he's gonna he's gonna lead from the front really on the pitch and it feels like now more than ever that's something we could do without there um 
so yeah, I'm, I'm positive about it. I think his his presence will hopefully have a ripple effect around the squad and certainly in the defence and maybe a few other players might buck their ideas up. I think when when you when you bring a player in like this who, you know, we've got an established right back and an established left back and now there's this player who could really threaten them both. It's hopefully the impact is going to be positive on all of those players um, and therefore subsequently the impact on the team will be better in the squad. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. Um, and, you know, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what impact ultimately he has. Yeah, and like you say, we had two left-backs who on Saturday had a fairly chasing experience, so um, perhaps not a bad thing to get some competition in there. Um, would you like to play the uh, who were Norwich City's six loan signings in their last two Premier League seasons? Um, that's obviously not, not this year where we've had Gilmore and Williams, but the, the two Premier League seasons before. There are six of them, uh, and I'm going to say they were bad. They were pretty bad across the board. Any names? Just shout them out. Patrick Roberts. Patrick Roberts is one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mark Edwards wasn't, was he? He was championship. He, he was not. No. So we had four last time under Farker. Roberts was one. Um, <laughs> wow. Oh, goodness me. Okay. Um, I mean, this shows how bad they were. Completely forgettable. Oh, um, um, Farman. Farman. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Um, uh, we we had a B a BPF. Um, oh, Amadou. Amadou. Oh, Amadou. Thank yeah. You very much. Yeah. And uh, Lucas Rupp and who else did we sign in January? Uh, I mean, I've been try- spending the last 18 months trying to forget this season. <laughs> Sorry to bring it all back. Um, Slovakian. Oh, of course. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, what's his name? Wow, really? He had one great game in the Euros, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, which is one more great game than he, <laughs> than he had for us. Um, and then the two from the Alex Neal season, we had a fullback. Uh, Liverpool. Oh, um, oh, oh. no. Um, sort of I- ironically named. Um, he's Derby County now. He is it's at Derby wisdom, County. Well, wisdom. Yes. Correct. Andre Wisdom, yeah. And then a striker who has gone on to, to great things since the nearly made the England squad. Patrick Bamford. Patrick Bamford. What about Mbakani? Was he. He was the year before. No, maybe you're right. Oh dear, well, that's ruined that feature. Yeah, he went back to <laughs> AK Alcazar or wherever he yeah. came from. Oh, I think you're right then in that case. Well, in that case, seven. They were the six Norwich City bad loan signings. Uh, but we'll throw in McCartney in there as well. Wisdom, Bamford, Roberts, Furman, Amadou Du. So let's hope that Williams doesn't join that list. Um, I make him maybe the second most famous Brandon in the world. Brandon Flowers is all I've got. Any any advances on? Is on Brandon Bra- Flowers that famous? But he's got to be more famous than Brandon Williams, isn't he? The lead singer. It's more the, famous than the village near Thetford, right? Isn't, isn't that right? <laughs> yeah. It's a village called Brandon. Is there is, yeah, Thetford, yeah, yeah. Thetford and Brandon Times, isn't it? Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, that's the only other Brandon. Maybe they can get an exclusive interview with Brandon Williams as part of a um, positive <laughs> positive PR push. Yeah. Perhaps, but they definitely wouldn't be able to with Brandon Flowers. So I think that proves my point that he is the more famous and two. Mm. Um, and that concludes our forensic analysis on Brandon Williams. So let's move on to this is almost like fantasy football. This is the part where we predict things that uh, are going to happen in the next week or may have already happened. Um, so uh, let, that brings us on to Bournemouth, which, um, as we speak, is happening tomorrow. We've kind of touched on it already. Um just quickly then, who do we think might get a game and are we going to go through? Uh, ben, I'll come to you first on that. Um, well, as I said earlier, hopefully Jollis will play a part. Hopefully Josh, I think Josh Sargent will certainly will certainly start. I expect um, changes in defence. 
Omar Bamadeli. I hope is fit and raring to go. And um, I think Zimmerman, I think in the press conference today, Farkas and Zimmerman is fit, so I wouldn't be surprised if we saw him as well. Overall, and Brandon Williams, I believe, is available. Is that right? I would imagine, could, yeah. Could, yeah. could be thrown straight in, or yeah. if he doesn't play tomorrow, well, may, maybe, no, I'm, I'm thinking Williams might be thrown in against Leicester, so, you know, would, would Farker play him in both games this week? I don't know. Um, I like to think that with with those players featuring and, and the kind of need, I think, to get a result that we can see off a Bournemouth team who will, of course, rest players as well. I think I think they've played for already four games in the Championship, so Scott Parker will be looking to to rest, I'm sure. Uh, Dan, what do you think? Are we Is this is this the end of our uh, bad start? I'd say so. Yes, I think so. I think the depth of our squad is wide enough. Well, I say that with a caveat that We've not seen Cholos play. We've barely seen Josh Sargent, really. Um, but it, it on paper, it appears much deeper than last time. And I think the key is that Bournemouth will probably rest more players than we will, as Ben, as ben said, which should give us a nice moral-boosting uh, victory, um, I think. Uh, I'm quite excited <laughs> oh, to see... God, we're going to look so stupid, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> Nil three, here we come. I was about to say I'm quite excited to see... Cholis is, is that how we're pronouncing his name, by the way? I'm not, I was wondering before this podcast. Um, and again, we'll probably sound a bit silly if he's had an absolute stinker. But um, I, I do, more than anything, I'm quite looking forward to seeing Josh Sargent get 90 minutes, hopefully, because although he's kind of divided Van Bass in his sort of short um, cameo so far, I think he's a good player in there. I think he's got the sort of similar movement and uh, vibe to Timu Puki with maybe a little bit more... Um, a little bit more power behind his running. So I'm looking forward to sort of how he uh, adapts to the Premier League as well over the next few months. I think as well, Steve, it'll be interesting to see Angus Gunn because I don't think Tim Krull has covered himself in glory in the first two matches Um, against Liverpool. I think he could have arguably saved certainly two of the three goals and distribution wise across both of the matches, I I think Mm. he he could have done better. So, and Angus Gunn is, is genuine competition. We know he's got quality. He's played consistently in the Premier League for Southampton. Um, so yeah, I think it'll be good. It'll be good for him, first of all, to to play his first competitive match as a Norwich City, a contracted Norwich City player, um, and obviously to come back to Cairo and for us to see him, see what um, see what he's going to be like. Yeah, on uh, on Angus Gunn, Steve. I thought of you actually when we were about four 0 down because I wondered if a goalkeeper uh, who had conceded nine goals had ever then been on a bench against the same team. Uh, when we conceded nine goals as well. I wonder that that's probably unlikely to have ever happened in the history of professional football. Well, I, well wasn't the nine goals against Manchester United, though, for Southampton? Uh, but man. let's not rule that but out. But still, two nights. Two nights, <laughs> yeah. though. Um, yeah. uh, well, I mean, I, I reckon that's probably never happened before. But hey, this season could be a first. Um, I was going to add that, um, I, know, I mean, this isn't necessarily the... the um, what to judge a keeper's performance on, but uh, we conceded five goals from four shots on target on Saturday as well, which is never a great look. Um, I'm also looking forward to, to Ben Pearson if he does play uh, and the reception that, that he might get. On, well, I would uh, absolutely sign Ben Pearson, by the way. I think he brings the uh, uh, ability to headbutt someone like Brandon Williams does as well, which we're probably <laughs> missing from our central midfield. Does that, does that not run the risk of them headbutting each other, though? Like if we've got two crazy headbutts. You get sent off for that, though, so maybe at least you're avoiding a red card situation situation there oh, yeah, maybe I'd take that right now a Kieran Dyer Lee Bowyer type scrap between mm. two players on the pitch right? yeah I mean I'm, shows I'm not... they want it doesn't it it just shows they want it 
I'm not a headbutter, but I feel like if I was, you you wouldn't go after somebody else that headbutts, would you? You'd go after someone that was meek and mild and, and wouldn't give anything back. So I reckon we'd I reckon we'd be okay. Um, I'll move it forward to I'll move it forward to Leicester. I know we've kind of touched on that as well. Um, and as you said, Ben, the last the last team we beat in in the Premier League. Um, do we have a genuine chance of of winning this one, or am I just being optimistic because it's slightly easier than the last two on paper? I, th- I think more importantly, it's probably more of a gauge as, as to where we are performance-wise. Obviously, they're an outstanding side. Um, well, they finished fifth last season. We're in Champions League spots for much of the season, as they were the, uh, the previous campaign as well. And they're slick. Um, they've not lost uh, any of their star players, which is the first time in sort of four or five seasons they've not lost any of their big hitters. But they're not Manchester United. They're not Manchester City. They're not Liverpool or Chelsea. Um so I think it's an, it'll be a really interesting gauge to where a our confidence levels are, and sort of maybe we'll get more of a sense of what our game plan is going forward this season because we'll we'll you'd like to think see a bit more of the ball than we did in the first two matches. Um, so you know, an excellent result would be great, but I'm sort of more interested and keen to see us play well and sort of implement uh, our style of play. Yeah, I'm exactly the same as Dan. I certainly want to. Um see what more we can offer going forward and how that's going to work with the 4-3-3 and um, I'll take I'll, I'll take a point for sure I think a point would be a good result against Leicester on Saturday and I think we're starting to see changes aren't we after um, I don't know if you can start nil eight and have an, an unchanged team for the first three matches of the season but we'll see um, hope, hopefully we've finished it this podcast with, with more optimism than we started it um, so that'll do for today's uh, for today's on the ball this week's on the ball the Norwich City podcast that hopefully kept you entertained for longer than you were on Saturday afternoon um, if you're yet to do so then make sure you subscribe to on the ball via your podcast player of choice the pod is available uh, and it's free for everyone on your usual player um, and usually we now stream the recording of the podcast live in video form uh, just not this week uh, search Michael Bailey the athletic Norwich City I mean surely that's that's already going to come up on your searches so just 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 hit, just just Michael and it should come up uh, on your preferred social platform and it should show up um ratings and reviews wherever prompted it are hugely appreciated of course by Michael and by me uh, and if you want to get in touch with any questions or topics um just chuck Michael a direct message on Twitter he normally says it so I'm allowed to uh, at Michael J Bailey um a massive thank you to our guests tonight thanks Ben cheers Steve and thank you Dan thanks Steve We will be back next week. Michael will be back next week and the live video will be back next week uh, for a roundup of what's sure to be a glorious three points against Leicester. See you then. Okay then, and we're back for more. I I never know how to start this bit. I don't want to say, and now we're clear, because it feels like that's Michael's catchphrase. (laughs) And, you know, can't steal someone else's catchphrase. Um, I'll quickly go over it. If you've listened before, then you'll know that this is the part of the show that we call Wits End, uh, named after our hero and yours, uh, Sir Stephen Whitaker. And if you've never ventured this far, then massive congratulations because uh, you've, you've just stumbled on an absolute podcast gold here. Um, this is this is the secret part of the podcast where we welcome in our Twitterkers, i.e. the members of Wits End, who can join us and tell us what to talk about. Um, from this point on, there isn't really a plan or a script. Um, Apparently there is for the first part of it, but there isn't for this. Uh, and we open up the floor to anything and everything. Um, so that means you're able to get involved too and tell us what you want to talk about. Um, so you can either email twitterkers at iCloud.com or use the hashtag twitterkers on Twitter. Just don't explain what it refers to. So, um, yeah, let's let's get started. I can see Ben with his hand up. 
I'm doing that thing that you do in Zoom calls where you sort of put your hand up, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. you do it digitally. Yeah, I, no I, I want to talk it. about. Um, I want to get your thoughts on if you could pick anyone to rouse the Norwich City squad and give them a speech. Not not someone within football, someone outside of football to kind of get them going this season. Who would it be? Because when I was reading about Liverpool before the um, Liverpool game, they I, I read that they had a speech during their pre-season training camp from Ben Fogle. Now, <laughs> I find it really difficult to believe that a speech from Ben Fogle could um, have any kind of inspiring impact on a team who were European champions, you know, and Premier League champions very, very recently and have got one of the most inspirational football <laughs> leaders of, of, the, of this generation. But, you know, Liverpool have, have won their first two games and have um, not conceded a goal. So m- maybe it did work. Uh, maybe Ben Fogel speaking <laughs> to the likes of Sadio Mane and, and Kostas Simikas had some kind of, uh, I don't know, it, it obviously had some kind of impact, didn't it? So I'm just wondering what Ray Mears, maybe, get him in the dressing room. Um, what do we think Ben Fogel talked about? His, his time on BBC reality TV show <laughs> Cast Away? Do you think did you, do you think that um Diego Jota was thinking about country file when he slotted in for one nil at Carrow well, Road on the You say country file then uh, John Craven we could bring in, couldn't he? He's got some yeah. stories, I'd imagine. Um he I, mean, I reckon Alison Alice, Alice Becker was certainly like referencing Fogel's <laughs> intermittent appearances on the one show like this <laughs> Shakiri obviously wasn't particularly interested was he because he's off now from Liverpool but if, I, if, I'd, if I'd heard that about Ben Fogel before our open game of the season against Liverpool I'd have been full of hope well we I was and in, in my head I had a, a hugely funny tweet lined up if we'd have been Liverpool saying oh you know it's all Ben Fogel's fault but in fact <laughs> it's like, who's the fool He's clearly a mastermind. I mean, I was going to say that reminds me of the um, England squad in the Euros, um, who I think had a rousing concert from Ed Sheeran after the Scotland game or something, which to me doesn't really feel like the kind of thing that's going to get you up for, you know, the uh, an impending clash against Germany, but um, got us all the way to the final. So perhaps, perhaps the more sort of middle class and banal the individual, the more inspiring they they turn out to be. I don't know. This is the so England used a man with a guitar. So you know, what about uh, John Rogers then giving Norwich City squad <laughs> a sing song before perhaps, their next game? Perhaps that's a better question. Which of the members of the on the ball crew not present would be best to deliver a rousing speech? Michael <laughs> Bailey, Stuart Hodge, or John Rogers? Who would you who do you want delivering that before the Leicester game? Well. I'd say Michael Bailey could maybe read out some of his meaner um, analysis of the football club uh, to rouse them, sort of <laughs> pin up on the on the. Yeah. Uh, but I would absolutely say, I mean, Hodgie's a rousing guy, isn't he? He is, yeah. I mean, I think he'd reserve a special talk for Billy Gilmore as well. You know, yeah. he'd, he'd take him to one side and put his arm around him in the corner of the change. No, no one would, no one would understand apart from Grant Hanlon. <laughs> Billy Gilmore would understand <laughs> Kenny McLean what he, what he's talking about. But my God, he'd, he'd really deliver it with passion, wouldn't he? Like, and I think Hodge would be the best place out of all of us to improvise a a rallying speech on the spot. I don't think any of us would be able to do that. No, no. Um, I, I do love the idea of him with a Bielsa-style translator, though, in the changing room. <laughs> well, your idea of Ray Mears, Ben, made me think of ahead of the, Eng- the 2005 Ashes win for England when they went on a boot camp uh, in the outback. They were sort of 
SAS out of England, flown somewhere and dumped in the middle of Europe uh, in a in a forest area and sort of learnt to live there for two years doing all their own stuff, carrying uh, massive tree trunks up hills, etc. Maybe Norwich City needs that uh, kind of bonding. You know, they've got Thetford Forest on the doorstep, so they could just pop along there if they don't they don't want to go abroad. Maybe rather than just um, hanging out at Colney in the canteen all the time, maybe get them putting up tents, yeah, foraging for bugs. Something yeah. like that is definitely needed. No, I, I was just really surprised that, that Ben Fogel had this, because um, I'm just imagining the situation. Maybe it was a, a surprise kind of reveal, stars in their eyes style, with like a misty doorway. Through <laughs> it walked Ben, Fog- ben Fogel. What percentage of the squad do you think recognised a Ben Fogel? And whose idea was that? Well, there's no way that Milot Rashidza is going to be going, hey, it's the what? guy who makes intermittent appearances on the one <laughs> show. What percentage of the uh, of the of the uh, on the ball podcast squad would recognise Ben Fogel if he walked into the room? Actually, I'm not. I'm not entirely convinced. I would immediately. It would. It take me a while. I think it would be one of those. I'd be like, is it him? Is it is it Matt Baker? Is it um, I don't <laughs> yeah. know someone else vaguely vaguely posh on the table? Although I think you'd get pretty short odds on there being an audience of Ben Fogel at Car Road inside the next three years. I think that's definitely <laughs> something that could happen. Well, I mean, I mean, Jake Humphrey is um, obviously a Norwich City fan and does his um, high-performance podcasting stuff. So, you know, he, he'd be a... I don't like to talk of other podcasts on this podcast, but he'd be a candidate, wouldn't he? Surely. Um, yes, well, if uh, if anybody does have any ideas, remember it's hashtag, uh, hashtag Twitterkers, T-W-I-T-T-E-R-K-E-R-S. Um, let us know on Twitter or, or DM Michael. That's uh, that's always a good way. Um, I was going to ask, actually, uh, I, I felt very sad for Daniel Fark on Saturday because not only were we getting hammered, he, he, just, he just looks rubbish when he's, like, sopping wet. Do you know how some managers, like, I, I thought Sean Dyche looked amazing with his, like, his coat on. He looks like a man who was born, literally born outdoors in the rain. But it, Farker just looks a bit pathetic. And I, I, I just, I don't did it offer you um, some sympathy for Steve McLaren, famously, getting a brolly <laughs> yeah. out? We got knocked out of the qualifying group of the Euros. Well, that's the thing. No one's going to do that now, are they? The, bro- the brolly has been stigmatised yeah. for... And so has the, the massive... Um, Arsene Wenger kind of zip-up coat, um, you know, even like I, I feel Hudson with the hood up, you know? I feel like the, the jackets Farker tends to go for as well, they don't look like the most waterproof jackets either. They, they're definitely fashion items rather than practical items. Surely we've moved on as a society as well where it's okay for a man to say, during a football match, I'm getting too wet, I'm just going to put a brolly up now. Surely we've moved to a place where that's okay. Why put no. them through that? I don't know about you, but if I'm leaving home and there's any chance of it raining, I'm taking an umbrella with me. So if if they're stand, if they know they're going to be standing out there for ninety minutes, if it was me, I'd be sitting in the dugout and getting the assistant <laughs> to do the shouting. So I'm not I'm not getting wet. So I've, yeah. I've I was with Steve at a football game at Wigan about <laughs> ten, ten years ago, and um, Wigan versus West Brom, I think it was random match we decided to go to. And I've never seen a human being move so quickly from the stadium to the car park after the match because it was absolutely <laughs> pouring down. And Steve just ran off into the distance, um, forgetting any kind of <laughs> post-match analysis or anything. It was a, a, a one-man mission to get to the car. I mean, is it, is it um, like the gremlins where you just spout, start spouting other gremlins when you get <laughs> others, other NCFC numbers come out? I mean, <laughs> 
<laughs> I was that annoyed that something, something like you know, something could have happened Gremlins esque. I was just annoyed at the the slowness we were moving at. You know, it was, it was quite clearly raining. We're getting worse. Like, let's pick up the pace. And I think I just left. I think it was you and Stu, wasn't it? I, I think I just left you. It's just like, well, I'm going back to the car at my speed, so you can do what you want. And then uh, realised I'd made a bit of an ass of myself when you came back to the car and just <laughs> laughed at me. So um, yeah, not not my finest moment, but um, I'd do it again. Um, to bring it back to your point, though, Steve. Yes, Parker, yes. Sorry. Um, I, I also think to complete that image of sadness, like just getting a nice cuddle from Guardiola at the end, saying, "Oh, you know, you're an exceptional manager, Daniel. Thank you so much for five nil." Did Did anyone check Guardiola's post match comments? Because I, I haven't looked at them, but I kind of assume that there's a, a really patronising comment, um, which he usually uses when he hammers a team. I'm sure he's done it with us before and with Brighton. Oh, they play such great football. I really like the way they play. Yes, well, you would, wouldn't you? Um, but yeah, I think everybody everybody likes Falker and everybody likes Norwich, but maybe that's that's part of the problem. Um, well, I'm going to ask the Kenny other business question, um, as if anyone else has anything to bring up at this point. I'm seeing, no, I don't think so. Actually. I, I, I want to maybe maybe we, like I don't want to. I think I've maybe come across as a bit negative, and maybe we all have on this pod. I, I generally am still ho- hopeful about the season and positive and think we might be all right. There we uh, yeah, go. And as I, as I said earlier, a defensive midfielder, not in the Amadou mould, but in a, in a young Alex Setti <laughs> mould um, or the, in the skip mould. And I think we'll be, we'll give it a really good go this season. There we go. There's some, there's some positive. I mean, it is, it is quite difficult to be positive after a 5-0 defeat. I, I see this as being a, a pattern where where Michael decides he's not going to do the podcast <laughs> after every every heavy defeat we suffer this season. I just have to come on and and try and be positive, and it's not really in my nature to do that. But uh, <laughs> we'll see how it unfolds. That's not the way it went, by the way. And, and Michael, I'm sure, will put me right on that next week. It's all planned. Anyway, uh, thank you very much, gents, for joining us. It's uh, us, me. It's it's been a pleasure. Anyway, uh, thanks, Ben. Cheers, Steve. And thank you, Dan. Cheers, Steve. We'll see you all next week. Bye.